Um, If you could turn with me to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. uh, And we're going to be looking through um, 22 through 33 on Ephesians 5. the Ephesians 5, uh, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Christ in the church. And uh, I'm going to talk about it from uh, two perspectives. Um, the, the perspective of the, of the picture itself, uh, the picture of the church being the bride of Christ and the church being the body of Christ, those two pictures from this passage. And um, just looking at that and thinking about, uh, you know, uh, a marriage and a husband and wife relationship, what does that mean? What parallels can we draw from that between us and the Lord? So that's what we're going to look about um, this week. Next week, we'll look a little bit more. I called it the purpose, but not not really. It's more about how does this uh, influence th- this uh, passage, I'll say, how, how will this influence our, our horizontal relationship with each other? Um, so it'll get a little bit more into, I think, what the traditional thought of, uh, as we read these passages are of the husband and wife relationships. Um, but it can go well beyond that as, it, as we think about uh, us as the body. Uh, so that's the that's the plan for the next couple of weeks. Let me read uh, Ephesians five, starting in verse twenty-two, and I'm reading out of the uh, NASB version. It says, "Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the The church is subject to Christ, so wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are the members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Sorry, I lost my place there at the end. Uh, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Um, Father, you um, know how I've prepared this with the uh, intent of sharing some slides, that, but uh, uh, this has not surprised you that they are not working. So I, I, I just pray that uh, without them, that there would be a, a clear teaching this morning from your word that uh, the listeners would hear. 
and that uh, you would bring to mind other things that need to be said, possibly, or uh, remove things that don't need to be said. Help your Holy Spirit to be leading me as uh, I am speaking this morning as your your mouthpiece, and I do so with uh, fear for you to do it in a correct manner, a worthy manner of you. Father, help us here uh, this morning. We um, just thank you that we can still freely teach the word here. And uh, we thank you for that freedom. Help it not to be a hindrance to us, but uh, something that uh, furthers, um, furthers your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, so, as I started, we have perspective. The, these two guys have an interesting perspective, don't they? As they're, they're looking at their situation, they're both thinking, hey, they, that uh, their position will be improved, and they're envying the other's position. Um, and, and in some ways, they are in a better place because the two of them can work together. They're not necessarily in a – they're still stranded, uh, but, uh, but they're in a, a better place. So, uh, that's that was the lead-in for the slides. Next one, please. Um, so we've already talked about picture and purpose. You can go to the next one. All right, pictures. So uh, pictures are are given throughout the the Bible. Um, what I what I mean by pictures is a, a person or a series of events that represents or is related to a, a biblical truth or revealing. Um, something that is to come. Uh, even in the Revelation, there's a, a lot of pictures. So, uh, for example, in Numbers 21, um, if you want to look there, uh, Numbers 21, uh, the nation of Israel is is wandering. And um, unfortunately, like us, that sometimes we're not, we're not pleased with our, our situation. And so... Um, they uh, they kind of question uh, the Lord and Moses for uh, his provision. They say there's no food or water here in the wilderness, and we loathe this miserable food. They loathed God's provision uh, of the manna. And uh, sometimes we do the same, but there's judgment for for that, or I should say correction. The intent is is not just straight judgment for uh, destruction of them, but it's it's correction to get them to look to God to uh, correct them um, in their in their thoughts and their thinking. And from this, we see this uh, fiery serpents have come, and and the only cure is for them to look at by faith at this bronze serpent that was made. That was put on a pole, and it's this picture of what was to come, this picture of sin's judgment on the cross through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, we believe that we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we have these pictures throughout uh, the um, the old and even into the New Testament. So in the spirit of Sunday school, this is probably the only question I'm going to ask here this morning. Uh, but in the spirit of Sunday school, I'll ask you just uh, maybe what are some of the pictures, other pictures that come to mind in the Bible? Sorry, Andy, you could go to the next slide. 
So what are some of the other pictures you guys think about in the Bible, either from Zoom or here inside? Just you don't have to come up to the mic if you're here. I'll, I'll repeat them. The Passover lamb. Passover lamb. Noah's Ark, I heard. Jesus on the cross. His cries. That's not really a, a picture, I'll say. It doesn't look forward to something. I guess the cross, it can be a picture, picture that we look at or something we look at as a symbol. Yeah. The bronze serpent, as we talked about, yeah. Ark of the Covenant. Sorry, what was that? Melchizedek, a picture of the the King of Peace. So in 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 people. Uh, so there's several um, pictures that are that are there in the the Old Testament. Um, uh, you can go to the next slide, Andy. Um, so thinking of the Bible as God's story, it would make sense that the central character of the Bible, God himself, would have many pictures. We've already talked about some of them that are not that that I didn't uh, put here, like Melchizedek. But the, the this artist tries to capture a few, right? We think of Jesus Christ as a lion. He's the lion of Judah. He's the the lamb that was slain there in Revelation, a picture of, of who he is. Um, we thought about that in the Lord's Supper, that Jesus Christ is the, is the lamb. Um, picture of God's holiness in the, the burning bush, right? This never-consumed bush. Uh, as Kenny pointed out, the, he talked about the cross. The cross, I don't think, is as much of a picture as it is a a symbol, something that reminds us of uh, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. Uh, and then the, the dove in that picture, the picture of the Holy Spirit. And we can think a lot of those like uh, oil for lamps. Um, so there's several uh, pictures uh, here in the Old Testament. But here in this passage, there are two pictures. I've already already kind of gave them away. The, the first is the, the church is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. So Andy, you can go to the, the next slide. So we have this glorious picture of uh, the bride um, and the bridegroom receiving her. Um, but or to, to quote Andy, if you go to the next slide, or to quote Princess Bride, Mawads. Mawads is what brings us to Gava today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Uh, now, that's kind of a silly way to talk about it, Andy. You can go to the next slide. But uh, it, is, uh, it is a blessed arrangement as you, as you think about it. It is something that is blessed by God and ordained by God. This picture of marriage represents a union between Christ and the church. And as we think about that marriage relationship, as I said, we're going to try to draw a couple, some parallels this morning. So let's think about weddings themselves. They are very festive occasions. People spend thousands of dollars on them. Uh, They spend hours or days or even a week, depending on your, your culture, right? Here in America, we do things a lot faster than others as far as the, the wedding is concerned. Um, but in other places, they spend up to a, a week. 
The bride takes hours getting ready. Well, the groom, not so much, right? Ten minutes, I'll say. Um, it's a really focused. The ceremony is centered around the couple, but really it's focused on the, the bride itself. She is the one that comes down the aisle. Everybody stands and looks at her while she does it. Well, the, the groom is standing in front just waiting. Everybody's seen him for a while. I looked forward to the, the day when my, I saw my bride coming down the aisle. I, I'm not, not going to lie. It was an emotional day. I was thinking about this, and Sarah and I were talking about it. Maybe it was because she chose me over leaving out the back with her father, which, which was a real option. Uh, he, he offered it to her. Uh, or maybe it was just the anticipation of a, a life together. I, I don't know. But I know that the Lord is also waiting to receive his bride and to take her home. So as we think about marriage, I, I was thought about the, the example of the, the first man and the first woman. Uh, Phil has been doing some Sunday school lessons on Eve, and um, so that jog my mind about it. Adam and Eve are the first couple and the example of this relationship of Christ and the church. Romans 5 is uh, more explicit about that comparison of that first man to the last man, um, that last man being Christ and that first man being Adam. But as we look at this picture of husbands and wives, I want you to, to think about Eve as the picture of the church. And Warren Wearsby does that, and he draws some analogies between the church uh, as a bride with Eve. So here, there's a five of these. It says, Eve was taken from Adam's side, as we thought about, and Christ's side was pierced for the church on the cross, for us, the church on the cross. Eve was formed when Adam was asleep, and Christ experienced the sleep of death to create the church. Eve shared in Adam's nature and the church partakes in Christ's nature. Eve was the object of her mate's love and care and Christ loves the church and cares for it. Eve was formed and brought to Adam before sin entered the human family. The church was in the mind and heart of God before the foundation of the world. So as we think of those, those parallels, we can see uh, a clear picture of that. The Eve is a clear picture of the church as we uh, look at it. And it, that relationship that she had with Adam being the first ones in that relationship of husband and wife and how that shares our relationship with uh, Christ and his church, his bride. So we have this example, and then uh, some of the other things is uh, in marriage, marriage is inseparable. In verse 31 of, of Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the two shall become one flesh. Uh, part of my wedding vows were a verbal commitment to say to my wife until death, do us part. This commitment of uh, only death 
parting us, this inseparableness that we had. There's this joining together of the husband and wife that cannot be separated. And then you may ask this question, what about divorce? Uh, In Matthew 19, the Pharisees came and tested Jesus with this same same question. Let me turn there. Um, Because I think it displays still that there's this inseparable position or inseparable nature of husband and wife. So uh, the Pharisees come in Matthew 19, and they ask this question. Uh, They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And look at Jesus' response, starting in verse 4. He's like, have you not read that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he expounds on the verse from Genesis that was quoted in Ephesians. So they that are no longer, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus makes the point that it's God that's done the joining together. The Pharisees go on and then ask why divorce is allowed in the law. And Jesus' response is very direct. Uh, it's, he says it's because of their hard, hardness of their hearts. Um, our own sinful hearts that we have. But he also goes on to clarify that even if the husband and wife are legally separated, there's still a union there. Uh, otherwise, why would he say to you uh, in verse 9, as I, as I say, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. He has this idea that there is still, even if they're separated legally, there is this uh, bond between them. And because of that bond, there is an adulterous relationship that is resumed. So it is inseparable. And think about that as us as the church, that we are in, inseparable from our, from our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul asks the question in Romans 5, 30, 35, 835, who can separate us either personally or corporately from the love of Christ? And what's that, that great passage? He goes through all these things that, that says neither this, nor this, nor this, nor this, and it's uh, a great passage of uh, just to remind us that nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. We are inseparably attached to him. Once we are a child of his, we're a child of his forever. And so the church is in, inseparable. Secondly, the relationship, the marriage relationship is intimate. Uh, intimate uh, is simply defined as being closely acquainted, familiar, private, and personal. So I'll, I'll confess, I didn't know how intimate that this relationship would be when we got married. Uh, I found out very quickly as we went to the place for our honeymoon, it was a one-door cottage, one-door cottage. The door was to the outside. 
Now there was a bathroom inside, but there was no door to it. So I found out very quickly that this was going to be a, a intimate relationship. And in that marriage relationship, you see everything about the other person, both good and bad. Just thinking about that as Christ sees everything about the church. Otherwise, why would it say here in Ephesians 5 that he might present her to himself, glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Notice it's all in the future tense that the parts that we as a, a body are ashamed of, our spots, our wrinkles, or anything else will be gone. And the Lord Jesus Christ presents us as glorious. He loves us to that level. He wants that intimate relationship with us. And we have that intimate, that close relationship with him. Last part I was thinking about at a husband wife relationship is that it's growing. Um, so I celebrated my 18th wedding anniversary. I guess I'm now an quote old married man. I don't know if that's true or not, but anybody who's been married for a length of time will tell you that their love for another grows. It grows. It grows in different ways. I can tell you, I can think of myself, right? And Sarah, as I, as I thought about our relationship, the initial attraction was physically, how she looked, how she made me feel. But it's grown beyond that. I appreciate other things about her, how she thinks of things I don't. Uh, she cares for others with no regard for herself. Sometimes she prompts me to action when needed. She cares for our children. And the list could go on and on. But just like my relationship with my wife is growing, so the church's relationship will grow as the church learns more and more about the one who is her husband. It's not really Christ that does the growing. It's really us. Right? As we learn more and more about him, was thinking about that, that we're going to have an eternity, an eternity where we're learning more and more about him, an eternity where we praise him and grow in our love and appreciation for who he is and what he's done. The second picture, uh, and it's related to this husband and wife, it talks about the church as a body. It says, uh, for, for, we, for we are many members of his body. And uh, just two thoughts on that. And you know what? I've for completely forgotten about the slides, so I, I apologize about that. Um, uh, he is a body. So he is the head of the body. Christ is the head of the church, we read in verse 23 of Ephesians 5. Uh, Colossians 1.18 talks about uh, this further, and it says, He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, for that all things he may have the preeminence or the first place. The first place. Romans 12.3 and 4 says, For as we are many members of one body, but all the members do not have the same function, 
So we, being many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. So Romans 12, Romans 12 reminds us that, we are, that our local church is a body, that is a singular body made up of many members with many, many different functions. And like our earthly bodies, we have one head, one head, it's Christ himself. The church corporately and individually reports to that head, Christ. Each member reports to him directly. He provides unity in the church as the head, and all members are needed for the body to function as intended. Just thinking of our own body, but again, Christ is the head of the church. He's the one who provides the unity. He's the one we take our direction from. He's not only the head, but it says that he is our savior. Verse 23, uh, it talks about in Ephesians 5, it says he is the savior of the body. Um, To be a savior or to have a savior, you must be in need of being saved. Uh, We are helpless on our own account to overcome the sin that has trapped us. The earnings of our sin is death, as we remember in Romans 3. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 says this, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So a couple of things I'd like to unpack from that verse, verses from 2 Timothy. Um, one, it is not of our own works. Our salvation has nothing to do with what we have done. Our salvation has nothing to do with what we have done. It has everything to do with what God has done for us, specifically through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has abolished death by paying the price for our sins. He's abolished it. He's taken away. He's not only uh, taken away the, the, the punishments that there's, but he's brought life and immortality. Huh. Just the the position we have because of our Savior, Um, nothing that we have done, but everything that he has done for us. So we think of him as the head of our body. He truly deserves our honor and our praise. So just in conclusion, um, we're going to go back to the first couple And as Phil was teaching, he was talking about Eve as being a a worthy woman. And I was thinking about how do we show worth to someone or something? How do we show that it's value, that it's valued and that it it, it has value? So I came up with three ways. And um, some of them have just, they've come because of, uh, I'll say, things I've read or other thoughts that have, have come by. But First way you value something is the price that you're willing to pay for it. The price that you're willing to pay for it. 
And thinking about the, this relationship of Christ and the church, the price Christ paid for the church is immeasurable. First Peter 1.18 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spouse, without spot. We are worthy because of the price that was paid for us. It's a very steep price. The second way of worth that I thought of is what you compare it against. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, maybe it's only one, but um, the baseball legend Hank Aaron died. So as many different baseball writers tried to convey how great of a baseball player he was, for those who didn't get to see him play like myself, they kept comparing him to others. He is the most in home runs and second in overall hits. But to, to try to show how great he was, to, to even magnify it, they tried to do it by removing the well-known, known, what, most well-known part of his career, his home runs, right? He's first in home runs. So they were saying, like, even if you took all his home runs away, he would still be in the top 10 of hits. So he was still, just to think of how great of a, a baseball player he was. The church's relationship with Christ is incomparable to anything else. It's incomparable. We don't have anything to compare it to. It's... <laughs> I mean, there's that relationship that, that we have, the access, the love, the care that Christ shows, shows us. As I look through scripture, I don't, I don't see anything I could compare it to. I mean, you might say the relationship that Jesus Christ has with Israel. I, I think the church has way more, uh, just uh, their relationship is way, way deeper than that. So it's incomparable. And because it's incomparable, I think it shows that that it's worth more. We we have this unique and special position with Christ. The last uh, way I thought of worth of something is how you, how you treat it, how you care for it. So, uh, just as you think about it, let's say you come into possession for a first for a first edition book or a rare painting, something of great value. How would you treat it? Are you going to stick it in the garage, the crawl space, uh, or are you going to display it and uh, probably insure it, put it in a, a place uh, that is uh, safekeeping where it won't get damaged? Just glance with me really quickly here in Ephesians 5 about Christ's treatment and care of the church. How does he care for her? Verse 23, it says, we already thought about that he's the savior of the church. Verse 25, he loves, loves the church. Again, in verse 25, he gave up himself for the church. The word gave up is... Very interesting word, and I suggest you you think about it this week. Um, Before we talk next week, it's paradidimo, 
Tempera did tell me, sorry. Um, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but it's, it's interesting. Most of the time that word is used, uh, is talking about J- Jesus's betrayal all through the gospels, you know, that the son of man will be betrayed or given up by sinful men. And yet here he, he talks about, he, he gave up himself for the church, not that sinful men gave him up, but he had that power to lay down his life, to give it up himself. Verse 26, he is sanctifying the church. He's also cleansing her. He's presenting her in all her glory in verse 27. And in verse 29, he nourishes and cherishes her as he would his own body. The church's worth comes from what Christ has shown in what he has paid, by what he has given, that get, the position that he's given us, that incomparable position, and how he's treated us with the utmost, utmost care, as we think about here in Ephesians 5. So help us as we continue to grow in this intimate and inseparable relationship with Christ. Next week, we're, we're, we'll talk about Christ and the church, and it'll be uh, more going through the verses. But I just wanted to give you a few, a few thoughts as we, as we think about this unique relationship that we have as the bride of Christ and just the, the special privilege that we have with him. And it, it's just amazing to think that for all of our faults, for all of our weaknesses, uh, he's going to display us gloriously. He's looking forward to it. And so as we look forward to the day when our, our bridegroom returns to take us home, let's continue to, to look to him with love and eagerly waiting for his return. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, making it so that we could we could understand by giving us human human terms or human pictures to help us understand more fully this relationship that you have with us. Thank you for your your care for us, both individually and as. Uh, a group of believers as a, as a church and even the, the universal church, uh, every believer that has ever been, we, we thank you for your, your care and your, uh, I'll say your ability to, uh, in your plan to have something that uh, will work for all time, for all different cultures for all different people to reach them, to reach them for our, our common problem of sin. 
We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us, who gave him himself. And we thank you that he did not uh, stop there, but he continues to lavish wonderful gifts on each of us. Help us as we go our way here uh, for the rest of the day. Help us this week to, to be thinking about these things and the other thoughts that we have from First Thessalonians to and how to just walk worthy of the calling that you've called us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.